0: We're continuing the book of James today, and today we're gonna be talking about our speech, our words, our tongue. Do you remember the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Names will never hurt me, right? I remember saying that, reciting that as a kid. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, right? It was kind of this facade that you put up so people could say whatever they want to say about you, but you wouldn't let it affect you. But it wasn't too long later in life that I learned words actually do affect us, don't they? See, sticks and stones can break your bones and your bones will heal. The bruises will go away. But sometimes the words that are spoken, especially from someone that's dear to you, can last a lifetime. See, sometimes I don't think we we really comprehend or take the time to really think about the power that we have in our speech we have the power to heal right we're praying for Gordy we're saying kind things about Gordy we're we're meeting together and we're praising God for Gordy and the recovery that he's having and the blessing that that is Sometimes we encourage our kids, we encourage our spouse, we encourage people that we work with, and we see that their faces just change, right? Just the smallest word of encouragement. I remember when I was back at my first job, my first main job that I had, someone told me that one positive customer could do away with three negative customers, Because we saw so many negative customers, so many people had bad things to say because we were a service company and everybody that came in, came in with some sort of problem and their words were always biting and they needed whatever they needed yesterday. But that one kind customer that came in and that would encourage would take away from three negative ones. The words are very, our words are very, very powerful. And James is going to talk about that. And this passage kind of teaches itself, if you would. We're looking at James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Verse 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In this verse, he's going to address first the teachers, the ones who would bring the word of God, the ones that would teach the counsel of God. Like me right now, I'm, I'm looking at this book and I have to relay this book to you in a way that's right, that's true. I have to be careful that I don't insert my own opinions. I have to be careful that I don't insert my own thoughts. I have to be careful that I don't talk about things that I like or I would like to see, but instead what God would like to see and what God likes I have to make sure that I'm not trying to meet culture where culture's at, but instead I'm looking to God's word and I'm putting God's word against culture and where culture's at. So many times we teach and we want to please every single person that hears. That's not always the case. In fact, if you're teaching and and people are always comfortable and there's not an uncomfortableness at times, then you might want to ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? Because I don't know about you, but I can read God's word and there's many times that I myself feel uncomfortable. I wrestle. I don't always understand the things of God, but I, I have to stand by faith and say, but God's word is truth. And that's what I'll stand on. There's churches out there that'll teach falsely on purpose. They'll teach things like health, wealth, and prosperity. So rather than teaching the truths of God, they'll teach you that God wants you happy, and God wants you healthy, and God wants you prosperous. No matter what. Well, that would negate the first chapter of James, where James says, have joy through many trials. Always have that joy. You're not always going to be happy in life. You're going to face trials. You're going to face tribulation. Things are going to happen. And God doesn't do that because he's a god that wants vengeance on people. He doesn't he doesn't want to see you suffer, but the world has sin in it. And sin causes heartache. Sin will cause trial. And sin will cause tribulation. And the truth of Scripture is that God will carry you through whatever hard time you are faced with. That he is sufficient. And that's what God's word teaches, that he's always there. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we teach, we have to be accurate with what we teach. And it's not just for me up here, it's for you as well. Maybe you're teaching a Bible study. The same verse that says not many of you should become teachers would apply to you as well. If you're teaching God's word, you have to be careful to teach exactly what it says. Maybe if you're counseling someone with the word of God, maybe in your life group, maybe in your accountability group, maybe as you're discipling, meeting with one or two other people, as we open the word of God, we have to be very careful that we say everything that the word says. Second Peter says this, chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Peter talks about these ones that will come and they'll teach falsely. And they'll lead you astray. And they'll even explode, exploit you with their false words. Again, the, the power of words that come out of people. And then to the teacher in Revelation chapter 22, it says this, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of prophecy in this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. It's a serious thing. Jesus' words in Matthew say this, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. It's a warning that we're careful with how we treat God's word. When we teach from the Bible, how how we expose, how we expound, how we teach scripture. Jesus was always after the Pharisees and the scribes. Listen to what he says in Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte or a convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much the child of hell as yourselves. See, the problem is when we teach, we in fact, lead people. Jesus' point in that passage was, as they were teaching falsely, they were teaching people to follow the false teaching, hence making them also childs of hell like the false teachers themselves. You see, the word of God is meant to bring life. It's meant to revive our souls. It's meant to encourage, to bring hope. And even though there's passages in scripture that are difficult and passages we don't understand and there's warnings in scripture that we want to turn away from, that we don't want to pay attention to, in totality, this book is a book of life. So we must be careful to teach it well. We worry about being faithful to God in the way that we teach from it. So he starts with teachers because teachers use their words. If I stand up here in front of you, you're going to look at every word that I say and you're going to measure it. And I have to be careful of the words that come out, that I calculate them very well because all you have are my words to hang on to. So his first warning goes to those who teach, those of us. He includes himself, we all who teach. And he goes on in verse 2 and 3, if you look there with me. And he says this, For, again, including we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. This is going to be his first illustration is this bit in a horse's mouth. But notice what he says. He says, we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble. We all stumble in various ways. We all sin. First John, John 1 says this. We say, if we say we have no sin, we deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that we have this human nature that is prone to sin. It's prone to wander. And he's pointing out that we all stumble. We all fall. In various ways, we all make mistakes. So take heart. Take heart those that teach. Take heart those that are listening. That we are not perfect. In fact, he goes on and he says, if anyone does not stumble, he is a perfect man. That word could be translated as mature. He is mature in the Lord if he doesn't stumble whatsoever. But we know that we all stumble. So the only one that was perfect was Christ. Jesus is the one that didn't mix words. Jesus is the one that only spoke truth. Jesus is the one that proclaimed the very words of God. In this analogy right here, when he talks about the horse, he talks about this little thing that's a bit that goes in the mouth of a horse and that if it's pulled to one side or the other, it turns the whole body of the horse. The tongue is such a powerful thing that if you could control your tongue... You could control all the other members of your body. Wow. Now that's a big statement. The tongue is so easily to slip, the tongue is so easily to stray, the tongue is so easily to sin. That if you had the power to control that, you could control your whole body. Just as a bit controls a horse in the way that it moves, you could control everything you do, the path of your life, if you could control your tongue. One theologian said it like this. So difficult is the mouth to control. So given is it to utter false, the biting, the slanderous word. So prone to stay open, when it were more profitable, closed, that the person who has it in control surely has the ability to conquer other, less unruly members of the body. If we could only control that tongue. But how do we do that? How do we control this tongue if it's such a wild thing? Verse 4, another illustration he gives. He says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So here you have another analogy, like the bit in the horse's mouth, that controls the direction, right, of the horse. So this small rudder on this great ship can control the direction of that ship. I love it because you should circle this inside your uh, Bible. It says, where the will of the pilot directs. You see, it didn't talk about a horseman on top of the horse. It just talked about the bit in the horse's mouth. But we understand now, as we talk about it, we understand there has to be someone pulling on that bit in order to control that horse. Just like in the ship for that that, udder, that rudder to move in the back of the boat, that rudder has to be controlled by someone that's steering the ship, right? What is it that steers your tongue? your heart the pilot of your tongue the horseman that controls the bit is your heart Matthew 12 34 you might want to write it down it says for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks speaks Out of the abundance of the mouth, or the heart, excuse me, the mouth speaks. You see, this one that's controlling the ship, he has strong winds. He has these gales that are pressing against him. If he was to let go of that wheel, that wheel would just spin and put him in a crash course. He has to hold on to the wheel. He has to be steadfast. He has to know where he's going. He has to have direction in a good direction. The same as that bit. If you were just to let go of the bit, the horse could go wild. He could just take off, just bolting. And who knows where he would go. He would have no direction whatsoever. But yet that one that hangs on to the reins is the one that will be able to guide the horse, direct the horse, have power over the horse. So is your heart. Our hearts need to be right with the Lord. In counseling, I have many people that come to me and they have different problems that are going on. Maybe it's in a marriage, maybe it's in a family, maybe it's with children or coworkers. But they're coming for biblical counseling. So I ask the question: Are you going to church regularly? Well, no, we know we should be, but, you know, we just don't make it there. We're going to be going more, but we just, it's not a priority. Then my next question would be, but are you spending time in the word? Are you spending time in God's word? Are you showering yourself with God's truth? Well, no. No, I know we should be, and we did at one time. And you know, when we were doing that, everything was actually better. I remember the days when I got up and the first thing I did, I'd open my Bible and I'd spend 10 minutes or 15 minutes or a half an hour just reading God's word and then some time in praying. And it really changed the course of the whole day. It changed my thinking. I looked at things differently. I looked at people differently. Well, why aren't you doing it? Well, I don't know. I'd just, I just been busy. What about that person you're having a problem with, especially if it's your spouse? Are you spending time praying together? These are all things that affect the heart. You see that? These are all things that are going to guide you. Well, no, we don't spend any time together. No, we don't do that. We don't open the Bible together. I kind of have my own thing, and I meet with guys over here, And she meets with the ladies over there and we're both fine, but we never kind of meet. There's never a time that we meet in our walk with the Lord. And like, you're surprised that you're having problems. I mean, you're coming in for biblical counseling, you're coming in for biblical advice on what to do with your life because of the problem, yet you're not applying biblical principles in your own life. You're not open to listening to what the Lord has to say to you. If we're sharing ourselves with the word, if we're spending time in God's word, if we're knowing the word well, then when people come to us, we can actually be a blessing. You see, we steer our tongue in a way that we can give advice, that we can give biblical counsel, that we can give biblical encouragement, that we could give biblical hope to other people. When the storms, like the gales that are pressing at this big ship are pressing it, we could be at the wheel and we could be holding it steady alongside of them. And maybe it's even in our own lives. if we have control over that and our heart is being filled with the word of God and saturated with the truth then that same thing will come out of us we'll have a firm grip on the reins we'll know exactly where we're headed we'll know exactly what God wants for us and what he wants for others isn't that a nice picture and that's the power that you can have in this tongue but you see if you're Your tongue is uncontrolled. It can also cause great destruction. And he goes on to talk about that as well. His third illustration, he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. This small little member, James is saying, that's in your mouth. This small little member, and again, he's talking about speech. He's talking about our words, is capable of holding the whole entire system of the world in all its ugliness and all of its animosity or all of its unruliness and all of its sin is able to be captured in your tongue and spewed out where it says their world of unrighteousness, that's a system of the world that Satan is in charge of right now. You can read about that in Ephesians 2. That before we became believers, we were walking around by our own evil desires in the world that's ruled by Satan, just going after things that we like. He rules the system that opposes God, that's at enmity with God. And that whole system of the world can be caught up and spewed out from your tongue. You see, there's the difference. I spend time in the world and I'm away from the word and I'm just focusing on the things of the world. I'm letting the world stain me, if you will. And all the things of the world, then what's gonna come in? You heard the saying, garbage in what? Garbage out, right? So I'm taking in all the unrighteousness of the world and that's where I'm at and that's where all my time is. And I'm I'm not combating it with the word of truth. I'm not combating it or combating it with the hope of Christ. I'm not combating it with God's word and letting that rule in my heart. Instead, all this other stuff is taking over. This idea of fire is talked about in Proverbs. It says in 1627, it says, a worthless man plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. This little, your tongue is like a little spark that can set ablaze a whole forest. I remember I was a kid, it was 1970, and Simi Valley had a very, very bad fire. You remember that, any of you? I remember going out in the middle of Simi one night and looking around at all the hills, and it was like the whole Simi Valley was surrounded by flames. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I remember being scared as a kid because people were getting evacuated. They were getting evacuated over to Sinaloa High, Junior High School at the time because that was kind of centrally located in Simi Valley. And everybody was worried that this fire was going to keep going and destroy even more. And we were encircled by it. That's the destruction that fire can do. And James is saying in your tongue it's the same way. It's like a spark, and it just starts, and it goes on, and it moves out. What does that look like for us? The best example is gossip. Gossip in a church. How many churches have fell prey to gossip? Where people will just talk bad about someone in the church instead of just going directly to that person, like it says in Scripture. Slander, malice, anger. This tongue is this fire that can just destroy and ravage. It ravages families. Families can gang up on other family members. And again, that saying sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Believe me, they hurt. Gossip hurts. It destroys. Strife hurts. It destroys. Mark 7 says this, starting in verse 18. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and, is expelled. and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. James says the tongue is set among the members, staining the whole body. Jesus says these things that come out, they stain the body. They defile the actual person. It's like a fire, the smoke from a fire. How much stuff does the smoke destroy? Have you ever went to a house after it's been on fire? And after the firemen have been there and they put the water on it and all of a sudden there's, everything's left over, smells like smoke or it's ruined by the water? No other member of the body perhaps wre- wreaks as much havoc to the godly life than the tongue. The tongue can destroy you. The tongue can destroy people close to you. And the tongue is so powerful that it can destroy people that aren't even anywhere in your vicinity. You can get on a telephone and destroy someone with your words. Verse 7 Says this: For every kind of beast and bird, of reptiles, of sea creatures, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can be can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. You say, "Well, that's depressing, isn't it? Right? Well, Steve, you're making this sound so terrible. That's depressing." But remember, with God, all things are possible, right? You can't control it. You can't control it on your own, but you can if you stand fast, if you hold on. Remember? Hold on to your Savior, hold on to Jesus. Remember Him. Keep your eyes on heavenly things, focus on Christ. With man, these things aren't possible, with God, All things are possible. James is showing how destructive the tongue is, how out of control the tongue can be, how important it is for us to realize that our words can destroy. That church, we can't use our tongues in a way that bring people down, that tear apart. I was writing my notes and I wrote this down. Your mouth or your tongue is the path of least resistance from the sin gathered in your heart. That's your words. It's that shortest path from those bad things that you're gathering up, that you're holding on to, that you're not confessing, that you're not getting rid of. It's the shortest path. That's where it's going to come out. More so with your act- than with your actions and your hands and your limbs and everything else. Your tongue is just going to blurt it. Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile in the sea, can be tamed. I'm assuming James got that from Genesis 1:26 and 1:28, where God gave man dominion over all the animals. Right? He brought them to Adam and let Adam name all the different creatures that he had created, and he gave him dominion. And James says, "Yeah, you have control over all those things, even the wild things in nature. But this tongue is even more dangerous than them." In Psalms 140, it says this, they sharpen their tongue as a serpent. Poison of a viper is under their lips. The tongue is a dangerous thing. Our words can be very destructive like a fire. But under control, they can also be a very powerful thing but a powerful thing in the right way, encouraging, edifying the body of Christ. Encouraging, edifying people that are around you, that are close to you. Encouraging and edifying those that you don't even know, strangers that you come across. And this very point he brings up at the end of this passage, look what he says in verse nine through 12. With it, speaking of the tongue, We bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Again, that goes back to the Genesis account in Genesis 1. He made man and woman in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Verse 10. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Earlier in James, he talked about the man that was double-minded, that would look at the word of God and he'd walk away and forget about what it said. He says, you're a double-minded man, unstable in everything that you do. Right here, he's talking about a double-tongued man. The speech that comes out of you. He's likely saying, you, you come into church, you praise God, you sing the songs, you read his word, you do all those things, but yet you go in your home and when you get home, what are you saying to your spouse? What are you saying to your kids? What are you saying about your neighbor's? What are you saying about your coworkers? What are you saying about those people that so-called annoy you? We bless the Lord and Father, and yet we curse the people who are made in his image. This just rings in my mind of the last passage I taught on, right? Impartiality. The guy walks in with a ring, nicely dressed. He gets a nice seat. The other guy walks in, poor, shabby clothing, and he gets sat on the floor. They don't work together. James is saying you can't be double-tongued. You have to fix what's going on in your heart. If you have bitterness in your heart, you need to remove that bitterness. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 12. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. James is saying, listen, your words are kind of like a spiritual barometer on what's going on in your heart. Take the time to think about how you're treating people and how you're talking about people. Because that's going to show what's really going on in your heart. Remember, we're under the law of liberty. The new commandments that Jesus gave that summed up everything that the law and the prophets had to say, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's impossible to say, I love God, but I don't love God's people. If our words are a barometer to what's going on in our heart, then we need to stop and think. Maybe we need to stop and ask the people that are closest to us, how am I doing with my words? You know them by their fruit. We are known by our fruit. Salt and fresh water can't come out of the same spring. They can come out together, but then that's just bad water. But it's not going to be salt water one day and fresh water the next, unless there's something wrong with our hearts. Ephesians 4 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, so that, it, so that it'll give grace. To those that hear. So, how's your heart? How's your heart? Maybe this brings to mind for some of us different ways that we speak poorly about people. Maybe this reveals to some of us in the room as we look at this passage that we do have something wrong going on in our heart. What's the answer? Because that's what scripture does. Scripture presents us with a problem, right? It presents us with God's truth. Those two are clashing because there's something wrong going on in us, but it always gives us the answer. And the answer in this is just repent. If you have people that you've been treating wrongly, speaking about wrongly, if you've been speaking to your spouse or your children Or people that are close to your family members? Have you been using your speech to tear down, to break apart? Have you been sinning? If you've been destructive? Then now's the chance to repent. Come clean. God's word says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's that easy. God's grace is sufficient. This is obviously a problem because James took a lot of text to talk about this specific problem. And he says, we all stumble in many ways, especially with our tongues and our words. So we need to examine ourselves. And we need to confess what's wrong to the Lord so that we can be right so that we can use our tongues to bless, so that we can use our tongues for God's glory, so we can use our tongues to build up this powerful, small little tool, this barometer of what's going on. We're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper together. We're going to take communion this morning. And in communion, when Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, he says each person should examine himself. Well, I think this is a perfect passage for that. I think right now you take some time. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Right now we take time to examine our hearts. Let's see if there's any bitterness in there. If there's anything we need to confess. Then you can come clean before you take of communion. As the cup goes around and the bread goes around, if you're not a child of God, if you're not a Christian, you're just here to figure out what this is all about, just let it pass. No one will think anything strange of that. This is just a time for those in the family of God to remember Jesus. So as the elements pass, go ahead and take them. But I I implore you, please, take the time to reflect on how your speech is doing because that's a barometer of what's going on in your heart. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we're your children. Imperfect as we are, God, these warnings that are in this letter are not to crush us. They're to make us aware. One, that we have the ability to bless, that we have the ability to encourage, that we have the ability to spread God's truth. We have the ability to speak the gospel, to bring forth hope in life. But at the same time, Lord, if there's anything wrong going on inside of us, that that same tongue as spoken about at the end of this passage can also do very much of the opposite, destruction, gossip, strife. Malice. So, God, we want to be a people that pleases you. We want to be a people of clean lips. We want to be a people that speech is pure and honoring to you. We know, God, that we need your help in that. So, even right now, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the words that are careless. And I thank you that that forgiveness is available to anyone who asks for it. That God, your grace is sufficient. God, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that they would seek and that you would make yourself known. God, I thank you that they're here and I thank you, Lord, that we get the opportunity to spend time with them. And Lord, I pray that our speech wouldn't be a deterrent, but instead it would attract. Jesus, it's all because of you. It's all for you. You are the focus. May that be true of all of our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.